You are Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Red Sox podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Jake Devereaux, joined as usual by my co-host, Matt Collins. We're here to bring you the best Red Sox coverage on the internet Monday through Friday, and we want to be part of your daily routine. So be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. This is your Friday, May 10th edition of the podcast, and on today's edition, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your uh, 500 Red Sox who sit at 19 and 19, uh, and we are going to talk in the second segment about uh, some minor league standouts so far and just hit on some guys down there to update you on the farm system. Uh, so let's get right to it, Matt. As I said, the Red Sox are finally uh, 500 at this point, um, and they have a plus one run differential. Uh, it feels pretty big uh, that this is has finally happened. Um, so, I mean, how do you feel waking up with a 500 ball club finally? Feels pretty good, right? It's certainly better than an alternative. Um, I mean, I still kind of thought they would be better than this at this point in the year, but considering the way they started, uh, or they're like 17 and 11, I think I read since that awful start to the year. So, um, yeah, it, start, it turns out starting on the West Coast was not ideal. Um, they do their, uh, playoff odds on baseball prospectus are still down at like 53%, which I feel like is still low, but um, it does kind of paint the picture that things are going well. There's still some work left to be done, though. Yeah, uh, Red Sox Notes uh, tweeted out something this morning that I thought was pretty cool. It said, Red Sox run differential was a season-worst negative 42 after their two-game series at Yankee Stadium in April, and since then they've outscored opponents by 109 to 66, which is the highest run differential in the majors during that time at plus 43. So since they've kind of got off the schneid there, this team's been clicking. And uh, I dug into it a little bit more today because I wanted to look at how they've actually been doing it through the numbers. Um, and I used WRC+, Plus, which measures players on a scale of 100 being a league average hitter. Um, and I had uh, looked at all the Red Sox regulars. And shockingly enough, uh, the Red Sox have every single regular except for Jackie Bradley Jr. above 110, meaning that the the worst performing of those players is 10% better than league average at this point. So we have Christian Vasquez at 110, and then we have Mitch Moreland uh, as well as Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts all at 111, which is kind of interesting that they're all at the exact same mark. Um, after that, Benintendi at 115, J.D. Martinez at 124, uh, Mookie Betts at 139, and finally, Michael Chavis at 177. <laughs> 177. <laughs> it's ridiculously high. That's like what Mookie averaged for the year last year, pretty much. Um, oh, I think Mookie was higher than that. For the year he was? Was he like 180? Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, he was... Yeah, 185. That's crazy. <laughs> Think about how good Michael Chavis has been, and then Mookie Betts was better than that all year. Good yeah, luck. That's ridiculous. Uh, and Mike Trout's better than that for like a decade. So. <laughs> yeah, that just goes to show you. But um, I, I thought the interesting piece was was two things. Uh, two takeaways from that is just that uh, all the regulars are clicking right now, except for JBJ. 
Um, but when you look at the bench for these guys, and you know, you don't expect the team to have just an, an insane, insane bench or anything like that. Um, but we do have a few guys who are going pretty bad there. Um, Jackie obviously leads the way for starters with a 14 WRC plus. Um, but Steve Pierce, uh, one of the three bench guys, has a negative 16 WRC plus. Sandy Leone is at a 51, which is probably just what Sandy Leone is at this point. Uh, and then Nooney is at 13, which is also not very good. So what are your what are your um, sort of takeaways from from the numbers that I just read off there? I'm a little surprised that Nunez has been so bad, because um, I feel like he's been doing all right since the injury. I mean, not great, but I mean, he's. I guess it's only been four games. I'm looking at his numbers right now. It feels like he's been back longer than that. But uh, I mean, he's he's got a few hits. He's not striking out. I mean, Pierce is really the only guy on the bench that's concerning and surprising. And I mean, we've talked about it. It's just, it's so not him. And it's not him to such an extent that it feels real, even though, I mean, it's a tiny sample still because he doesn't play every day and we're still so early in the year. But um, just watching his at-bats, he doesn't look like Steve Pierce. And the fact that Chavis is hitting kind of takes makes that a little easier to swallow, but still, I mean, having a guy like Pierce who can come in off the bench late in the game against a lefty or start against the good lefties in rotations around the league, I mean, that's a valuable piece that they are going to need if they want to be the best version of this team possible. Yeah, and I agree with you there, and it's so not Steve Pierce uh, that his career average for WRC Plus is 110. Um, Last year, when he won the World Series MVP, uh, he was a 140 for the entire year. The year before, in 2017, he was right at 100. And in 2016, he was 136. And so for a lot of his recent seasons, 2014 and, and 2013, he was 161 and 115. He's been a really, really good hitter by this metric uh, for a long time. So this is just such a departure from that that you, you have to wonder what exactly is going wrong here to such an extent because he's not like JBJ. He doesn't get in big slumps. Um, That's not really him at all. So it just, it makes you think like what is actually the issue here? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's the plate discipline thing. I mean, we've talked about how he always puts together professional at bats and like, he's always been kind of underrated. You were just reading off his numbers. He's always been such a good hitter. He just doesn't, get recognized as that because a he's never played every day he's played more than 100 games once in his career um he's never had 400 plate appearances in a season and also he doesn't really provide anything defensively um but i mean for what he is he's always been good in that role and he's always walked a bunch and kept his strikeout rate at least average usually better than that um and right now he's striking out almost 37% of the time and walking under 7% of the time. And I mean, that's, that's outrageously bad. Granted, it's 60 plate appearances. So there's, I mean, there's definitely some small sample size noise. You can't be a major league hitter and have a negative 16 WRC plus true talent. I mean, Sandy Leone was much better than that last year. And we all know how bad he was, but even when you take out that noise, I mean, there's something seriously wrong here. I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's some, something mental that he needs to take a break or something but i mean 
like I said, it's so starkly different that it feels worrisome, even in small sample. Yeah, I wonder if it's physical, too. Um, maybe he just wasn't quite healthy enough because a few things stick out with those numbers. You, you mentioned the 36.7% strikeout rate. His career mark is, like, right around 19%, um, and especially for the last three years, it's been even a little bit below 19%. Um, and that jump is, I mean, that's, like, it's nearly double. That's that's out, outrageous, you know? That's that's him either not seeing the ball or his swing path has changed or, you know, something drastic. Yeah, I mean, or it's he's not catching up to pitches anymore. I mean, he's 36 years old, and... Sometimes that stuff does fall off a cliff, but I mean, again, I gotta keep saying it's only 60 plate appearances, so I'm not ready to like take a grade for this guy's career or anything. It's just it's really hard to watch right now, and it would be, I feel like it would just help everybody if he got a stint on the IL and kind of reset for a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you got to get this guy right. He's such an important cog off the bench. You, you know, it's great that the offense is going so well that they haven't really felt it too much, um, but they're going to need him down the road, no doubt. Um, but I want you to talk about your article that you wrote today uh, over at Over the Monster about JBJ's cold streaks and how this compares uh, to some of the other bad ones that he's had. And, and my question to you is, is this the worst one that he's ever had? So, sort of. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I've said it a million times. Everybody's pretty much has said this, that Bradley kind of does this every year, and he always snaps out of it, and so you kind of expect him to snap out of it again this time. But he's also, I mean, you mentioned he had a 14 WRC+. plus. If you compare that to his cold streaks in the last two seasons, it's much worse than those, but it's also a smaller sample size. Um, we're talking about like six weeks here. Uh, we're talking about two or three months for the other ones. Um, so I kind of tried to dig a little deeper, see uh, what was kind of leading to these bad numbers. And the biggest thing that stood out was he's just pounding everything into the ground um, and everything into the shift too. He's not going the other way. And, most concerning is that a lot of these ground balls are come they're coming on fastballs and they're coming on pitches in the middle of the plate um not necessarily all in the zone but if you take the strike zone and cut into thirds that middle third going vertically uh he's hit ground balls there 71% of the time when he puts a ball in play i mean that's you can't have that and i don't know that's I, a double play waiting to happen yeah i mean every single time and i mean that's why you see when there's guys ahead of Bradley, they're going a lot. Um, yeah. And they're not necessarily guys that should be, but they have to avoid these double plays. And so I feel like it's something mechanical. Um, I'm not great at finding those kind of mechanical issues. That's not really my strong point. I wouldn't try and speculate on something that I don't really know about, but it just feels like, I mean, he's taught, he had all these swing changes over the off season and, all of us, myself included, were kind of excited about the positives that would bring. And I feel like none of us really considered the fact that messing with your swing can lead to some negatives, too. And I think that's what we're seeing. He's just, like, all out of sorts. Yeah, to to give you an idea of where his ground ball percentage is, too, he hasn't seen a ground ball percentage uh, like this since 2013 when he had 37 games with the club uh, as a rookie, um, where he was... 
he was producing almost identical numbers to what he's doing now. Actually, they were a little bit better back then, believe it or not. Um, but very similar walk rate, 29% strikeout rate in grounding the, the the ball into the ground or hitting the ball into the ground, I should say, 60% of the time. So even just a touch higher back then. So it seems like, you know, something's gone wrong and he's almost reverted back into the rookie version of himself that looked just completely lost when he got up to the majors. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of a weird comparison because, I mean, that was, he was so clearly rushed to the majors at that point that, I mean, he just wasn't a complete player. He was, if I remember incorrectly, he just went bananas in spring training and they got excited, called him up way too early. Yeah, that's um, about right. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like I don't really want to compare anything he does now to those first two years in the majors because he clearly had such a big change in 2015 that those are really the years that I think are Jackie Bradley. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think it really comes down to those swing changes he made over the offseason and something's not clicking right. I don't know if he needs to go back to his old style or if he just needs to make a tweak to figure out these changes he made and make them work. But, uh, yeah, right now something's not right because, I mean, I talked about it after yesterday's game. He had that, I can't get this change up out of my head. It was up in the zone and he hit it, he hit it into the ground to the second baseman. It's like, I've never seen that before. It's just, it was a terrible swing and it's, it was not, a, even Jackie Bradley's going bad. I don't think I've ever seen a swing like that. Yeah, it's definitely uh, some new ground for him and uh, not, not particularly ground he wants to uh, be at or ever revisit after this. So hopefully he can get that turned around. And if he does, I mean, this lineup is just going to continue to be more dangerous because all those guys we mentioned, maybe aside from Christian Vasquez, uh, can all sustain what they're doing right now. Uh, I don't think Michael Chavis can sustain what he's doing right oh, now. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> Chavis. Uh, yeah, definitely not a 177 pure talent hitter. Um, but Chavis, I think, will at least be above 100 uh, as long as he's with the club because he does hit for power and stuff like that. Um He's, he's, he's certainly a quality hitter. I think you worry about his defense a little bit more than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's like a 100 to 110 guy right now that like sort of still feels level. optimistic, but yeah, I mean, not like going, not like peak or anything, but this year, that's yeah. kind of like the high end of my expectations. I would agree with that, and I think we'd be completely fine with that. Oh, for well. sure. Um, when we come back for segment two, we're going to take a quick break uh, first. And uh, when we come back for segment two, we're going to uh, talk about the minor leagues a little bit. But first, we're going to give you a quick word uh, from our sponsor. All right, Red Sox fans, I'm excited to talk to you about our newest sponsor, Loci. I've been wearing Loci bracelets for a few years now. If you haven't heard about these, they're infused with water from Mount Everest, the highest point on Earth, and mud from the Dead Sea, the lowest point on Earth. It's a daily reminder to help you find your balance during life's highs and lows. As sports fans, we definitely experience highs and lows throughout the season. Loka's game day collection helps you stay humble and hopeful while wrapping your team's favorite colors. And with 10% of net profits donated to incredible charities, you can support your team and support causes around the world. Since Loki is a friend of the show, they are offering you an exclusive discount of 20% off all game day collection bracelets. All you have to do is go to loki.com and use the promo code Boston Red Sox, all one word, to take advantage of this amazing deal. That's L-O-K-I.com 
and use the code Boston Red Sox, all one word, for 20% off. So get out there, grab a Red Sox bracelet, a Patriots bracelet, or a Bruins bracelet. Bruins playoffs continue tonight, so you can check that out. Uh, it's a great bracelet, great company, uh, and they really donate to some awesome charities. So definitely check it out, and I uh, hope you like it. All right, Matt, welcome back for segment two. So uh, we haven't talked farm since last Friday here, um, and what I did today was just simply uh, went to some of the minor league stats pages and picked out some hitters who have been performing at a high level for the Red Sox uh, and a few uh, pitchers that have been performing at a high level, and uh, we'll just kind of touch on a few of these guys. Um, some we'll spend more time on than others, but for hitters, the guys that I picked out were Jaron Duran, Ryan Fitzgerald, CJ Chatham, Marco Hernandez, Mike Miller, Josh Ockamy, Tristan Casas, and Bobby Dahlbeck. You're probably thinking, all right, there's a lot of familiar names here, and if you haven't heard about Jaron Duran on this show, you haven't been listening. Um, but it's I, always Duran season on this show. That's right. But there's, there's a few interesting guys that I think are worth us spending a little bit more time on. Those two guys are Ryan Fitzgerald and Marco Hernandez. And I wanted to first turn it over to you uh, to kind of introduce people to Ryan Fitzgerald uh, that might not have heard about him because he's a little bit of a new uh, addition to, to this kind of uh, talk. He, he's, he's a little bit of a breakout guy. Yeah, so uh, I think I mentioned him extremely briefly uh, at the end of last Friday's show, but uh, he is he was an undrafted free or he was undrafted after the 2017 college season i believe uh yeah he went so he went to indie ball in 2017 uh the red sox ended up signing him in the in the middle of last season uh, i think Sox Sox prospects says may uh, so they signed him out of indie ball he went to greenville and he was pretty good i mean for a guy that came out of indie ball and wasn't drafted out of college he was very good but uh Scouts, a lot of people in the system really like him. Um, his makeup is supposedly outstanding. Um, he's got a solid hit tool. I mean, we're not talking about a future superstar here or anything, but people liked his bat and they really liked his work ethic and uh, just the way he kind of handled himself on the field. And so he come came in this year, went to Salem, and he is hitting uh, 345, 420, 473. He is... Uh, He's just been outstanding. He's been, uh, Salem's, like, top half of the lineup have all been really good. They've just been putting together a lot of hits. Um, and Fitzgerald has been a big part of that. And again, I mean, I think probably the best case scenario is that he's, like, a bench guy in the majors, but considering where he started, um, that's a, that's a hell of an outcome. And he's, I mean, he's, like, Daniel Nava, he's just, like, the kind of guy that you really want to root for. And, see him keep rising through the system i can definitely see him turning into a brock holt type guy and uh he he does play shortstop as well it's worth noting uh he's he's a left-handed bat um and he's also a really good defender he actually you know the Sox prospects page uh enlightened me to this but he's he's won a couple awards uh arizona winter league defensive player of the year award so his defense is actually pretty good um, and, and a guy that could be interesting. He definitely has a contact-heavy approach, um, not a whole ton of power there, but um, definitely somebody who looks like he could he could play. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great find for the scouting department, whoever, whoever found him. 
did a great job. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so let's let's touch on our next guy here. Um, what are your thoughts on Marco Hernandez and his uh, start since he's gotten back? Marco has dealt with shoulder surgery and lots of stuff going wrong over the last couple of years, but he's actually off to a pretty uh, hot start right now. Uh, let me read his stat line at this point. Uh, let's see. I just had it here. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, so, so far at Salem, he is batting 309, 385, 400 for a 785 OPS over his first 15 games. Uh, he doesn't have any home runs or anything, but he's got six RBIs, five doubles. Um, for a guy who's been out of ball for as long as he has with going through all those surgeries, I think that's a pretty outstanding sign for him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to think about Hernandez. Um, obviously, it's great that he's back. Um, he had two big shoulder surgeries, and um, as we all probably know, shoulder injuries are like, those can be devastating for a hitter. I mean, that this is the type of stuff that can end careers uh, before they get started. So just the fact that he's back is huge. Um, the home run thing I wouldn't really worry about at all because, I mean, it's not a big part of his game ever. Plus, Salem is just a nightmare for power hitters, um, unless you're Bobby Dahlbeck. But he's getting hits at the same time. I mean, he's in Salem. He's... At least pre-injury, he was obviously way too advanced for that. He's been in the majors. Um, this is a rehab. Obviously, you want to take you want him to take his time. It's nice to build the confidence. I don't have a problem with him playing in Salem. I'm just not sure how excited to get um, at this point, just because he's going up against such low-level pitching compared to what he's seen in the past. Um, at the same time, I mean, if he can get back to the guy he was, I think people forget how good he looked. I mean, again, like Fitzgerald, we're not talking about a star. We're probably not even talking about a starter. But he was—he looked like a really, really valuable bench piece who could play solidly at both middle and field positions. And he's my kind of guy. He's line drives, hits the ball low, doesn't hit for power, but he's going to make contact and he's going to get hits. And coming off the bench, who can play both middle and field positions, if he can be that again, I mean, we're seeing what they're dealing with at second base. That would be a huge addition. I don't expect him in the majors this year. He's got a long road back. But for 2020, he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Yeah, that could be huge with all the the guys that are going to be up after that time. Uh, for their, you know, They'll be in free agency, so that'll give the team another option there. Uh, and definitely an intriguing one. Um, let's talk about pitchers here. So I picked a few pitchers. Uh, Mike Schwarin, Kyle Hart, Cutter Crawford. Uh, who had an excellent game yesterday, uh, Brian Mata, Matt Kent, and Chris Mockamer. Um, so the two guys I want to key on are the the two end guys, Mike Schwarin here and Chris Mockamer. Uh, Mike Schwarin, I think, is worth talking about because he could very well be the next starter to get a call up to the major leagues because uh, they still have room on the 40-man to add him, and it seems like they're going to need no. somebody. The 40-man's full. Um. Wait, how did that happen? Uh, they, they had three spots. Uh, let me see if I can remember. Yeah, one went to Josh Smith, one went to Ryan Weber, and the other went to Joey Carletta. Um, wow, that happened fast. Yeah, they ate him up pretty quick. I mean, they can still open it up. Um, I mean, they have guys like Chandler Shepard and guys like that that could be DFA'd to make some room. But, uh, yeah, they would have to make a move to get him up. Not that that should stop him, but. 
So what what type of an impact could this guy have when he does come up? Because I'm I'm almost certain that he's going to get some time this year, and I think that it's going to be sooner rather than later. Yeah, um, it's it probably like how soon it is probably depends on how long David Price is out. Um, if he's really only going to be out for ten days, as we talked about, they can make it through this little stretch where they have three days off. Um, within a week to shorten their rotation and get through it without calling him up. Um, if it is longer, I still don't think having two spots in the rotation, especially their back to back right now, um, that can only go three innings for a start. That, that does, it just doesn't seem sustainable for the way this Red Sox roster is built. Um, so at the very least, Warren is a guy who could come up and give them five or six innings. Um, I kind of get a little worried by the expectations right now because so many people are wanting him called up and I am among them, but it feels like whenever this happens, people expect like a top prospect. That's not who Mike Schworn is. Um, I like him. I think he can be a major league starter. Um, but I think the best case scenario for him is he's like the fifth best starter on a playoff rotation or like a three or four on a bad team. Um, which is a good, pitcher i mean it's hard, it's not easy to come by those guys as we've seen over the past decade with this red sox farm system it's just i don't want people thinking he's an ace um i think he could come up this year and be solid for some spot starts when they need him but if they have to rely on him too much i wouldn't feel very great about it yeah that seems like that would be a pretty great outcome for him if he was ever uh, developed into anything quite quite as good as what you just mentioned but uh yeah i mean it's the best case probably yeah. a lot of people see him in the bullpen i like him um i saw him a couple times last year i like him more than uh i think a lot of other people do but at the same time um other people are smarter than me so you should probably listen to them well i mean the 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 knock on him is just the lack of a, a true third pitch that is really you know a good pitch. He's got a fastball and an awesome slider, and the slider he relies on so much, but he doesn't exactly overwhelm guys with strikeouts, and, you know, he his his control is pretty good, but I don't know if he's got anything that's really standout. No, and I mean, I think that's why you can get away with that as a tip starter. Um, I mean, we've seen plenty of guys that he have, I mean, he doesn't have terrible strikeout stuff, and in the low minors, he was a strikeout machine, um, which is what I kind of first caught my eye when he first got drafted. Um, his first full season, he struck out 13 guys per nine, which was definitely not um, indicative of who he was as a pitcher, but um, it it shows that that was in there, and he's still like an eight-ish guy, eight-ish strikeout per nine guy in the minors. And, I mean, if he can be like seven in the majors, I think that would more than work. Yeah. Well, the last guy I want to talk about before we uh, close out the show is Chris Mockamer, who I really hadn't paid any attention to um, at all. Um, but his numbers just kind of made me have to take a look at this guy. Um, he's 21 years old, right-handed pitcher, um, was acquired in the 16th round of the 2018 draft out of Kentucky, uh, was the closer for Kentucky when he was there, but now he's he's moved over to a starter's role. Um, and over the time that he has been pitching for the Red Sox, uh, he's actually enjoyed a lot of success. Last year at Lowell, 34.2 innings, 2.6 ERA. Uh, this year at Greenville as a 21-year-old, 25 innings pitched, 2.88 ERA uh, with 17 strikeouts. Um, so he's 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 been having success, 
However, uh, this all comes with the caveat that this is a guy who played in the SEC and who's still, you know, playing in the low minors at this point. He, he's more of a two-pitch guy, fastball, curveball, um, changeup that he can show, but really doesn't seem to be a great pitch for him right now. Uh, all signs really point to this guy being a future bullpen guy, but he keeps having success. So I think that the true test for him is going to come as he continues to advance um, in what he's going to look like when he gets to Salem and eventually Portland. Um, but nonetheless, a guy way down, 16th round, who has been having a lot of success. Yeah, I mean, I'm not – I haven't seen him. I'm not super familiar, but from what I do understand, I don't – I'm surprised, first of all, um, that they converted him after they drafted him. That was like a big thing for them back in the Charrington days, but it seems like since Dombrowski's come in, um, they've drafted relievers and they've kept them as relievers. Um, it seems like they've placed more of an emphasis, emphasis on developing guys in the bullpen right away. So I, surprised that they're trying this as a starter. I guess they see more in his changeup than some other people do. Um, his numbers this year, other than the ERA, don't really impress me all that much. Um, he's a fly ball guy who is getting most of his results are coming from not allowing home runs. I don't, again, I haven't seen him, so I don't want to knock him too much, but just the numbers don't seem like something that is going to sustain. So I would, ex- I honestly expect him to be in the bullpen by some point next year, just based on what I'm seeing here. Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on with that assessment. So uh, things are going well in the minor leagues so far, um, you know, for for the development of a bunch of these guys. And I think overall we're seeing uh, what has been a pretty unhealthy system have a few breakouts and uh, certainly getting deeper by the year. Uh, so I think it's trending in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we go, we should just mention that Brian Mata was – placed on the injured list uh, this past week all we know is that it's a shoulder strain so shoulder injuries are never great but I think we probably would have heard something if it's serious so uh, just something to keep an eye out for if we ever do hear any more information on that yeah and he's been having a really good season so it's it's too bad for that to happen yeah bad timing all right so that's our show we hope you enjoyed it if you did be sure to subscribe to us so we can be part of your daily routine Uh, Also, please rate and review us and follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow the Locked On Red Sox account at LO underscore Red Sox. You can follow Matt at Matt R.Y. Collins. And you can follow me at at DevJake. You can ask us questions and interact with us there. Lastly, urge Red Sox fans to subscribe to the show. We appreciate it when more people tune in. And fans of the league as a whole can check out Locked On MLB to get an overview of what's happening in the league in just 15 minutes. So thanks so much, and we will be with you for the show on Monday.